Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Premier League return of the podcast, many years in the making and bringing only misery and anxiousness. And I'm joined by the Calvin Phillips England debut of the podcast, Tom Woodhead, much anticipated, but ultimately disappointing just as we knew it would be and finally the 7-0 hammering of the under 18s of the podcast <laughs> leaky back line a mismatch and not pleasant for anyone it's Darren Driver Darren how are you doing yeah I'm all right thanks I just I did wonder which of the which of the disappointing events of last night I was going to get lumbered with so I'm a bit I'm a bit <laughs> saddened it was a 7-0 thrashing uh, but there we well, go that's life isn't it <laughs> yeah well we didn't have you on the uh, the preview episode so uh, and we didn't actually do any bad things on on that so we've been saving them up so you really got the unleashing of negative events in recent days of Leeds United so I'm sorry about that it's all right. it was noted when I listened to it that that, that happened so I was I was ready <laughs> Tom Woodhead how are you doing I'm flustered. I've just had a man in my house fixing my TV for about an hour when it could have taken about five minutes. But yeah, it's, I'm fine. <laughs> you, you sound like you're over it already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to get over this. I don't <laughs> so without further ado, and because of the man with the TV who has thrown our time schedule out, we will jump into the news from this week. We've already mentioned the 7-0 thrashing. The Leeds under-21s technically lost to Accrington Stanley in the EFL Trophy last night. But as we know, the um, under-21s were populated by, in fact, many under-18s players. Many under-16s by the, by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of them were under-16. Um, well, Charlie Allen, the, the captain, is 16 years old. And unsurprisingly, the result was uh, not pretty in in, uh, in that respect. Um just a few things. The explanation that was given via Adam Pope yesterday was that because of various bubbling issues and because Marcelo Bielsa had decided to keep his under-23 squad available for a murder ball session today um, in terms of the first team's preparations for Premier League return, uh, the under-18s were brought in instead. So that was the explanation given. A lot of people were very upset on the timeline yesterday. Um so, Darren, we'll start with you. What's your thinking on this whole debacle, we'll call it? I don't really care, to be honest, about <laughs> about, about cup football. I, I completely understand Bielsa's reasons for wanting to keep his 23s available. Um, my only wish is that he would have sent under-18s in the places of Cock and uh, Rodrigo and Phillips instead of sending the actual players. Um, and then we could have spent the week preparing for Liverpool instead of instead of other things happening. I think the, there's a sense, for me anyway, which people are blaming the club here for an issue which is probably out of their hands to a large extent. Absolutely. Um, because they will have planned to join this competition m- months ago. And the way that things have happened with with the Premier League and with uh, international football and with Leeds' transfer strategy has meant that they've got to this situation where they're expected to play a game without the requisite um, players available. Um, Tom Woodhead, how do you feel about this in terms of the the, the, the under eighteen players' developments? Because it seems to me that the the, the 
the people who really lost out here was those those youngsters who um, not only had to sort of go through the ignominy of, of of losing a game, but sort of went through the ignominy of losing a game as sort of sacrificial lambs, as it were, for for um, for the under twenty ones. Do you think there could be any long longer term issues that come out from this sort of approach to to the EFL Trophy? Well, I definitely think we can see a half-hour apology in a Bielsa's press conference tomorrow. He's going <laughs> to definitely get some serious airtime. Um, yeah, it might serve them well to to realise just how big the step up is. Um, I, I imagine when you're a decent standard at that age, you uh, it's hard to um, envisage how big that step up to senior football is going to be. And this will be a bit of a wake-up call to uh, to those players, I guess. Um Obviously, it's not ideal. You never want to get hammered seven nil. Um, it's not the same as getting hammered three nil, where you could say this. You know, they've they've battled bravely. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the club exists for the first team essentially. So we had to do what was right for the first team in this situation. And Villa have done exactly the same thing, and possibly more clubs. So you know, I don't think it's something that's unique to Leeds United. Yeah, I guess my my only concern here is that um, when you when you um, scattergun approach this with under 18s players and um, hammer all of them at once, I, w- I just wonder whether or not that sort of kicking of confidence will be useful for the under 18s as a as a club going forwards this season. Um, I, I'm not sure it's going to be that great for them just going going forward into their league this season to to go in off off the back of of that sort of um, uh, hammering. Oh so. yeah, I'm, I'm I'm totally clutching at straws when I when I brought out those mild positives i mean it's obviously (laughs) it's going to be awful for them in most ways i imagine and it'll knock their confidence but apparently from the reports i read they kept trying to play the entire time uh and um i saw some quotes from the Accrington stanley manager who was basically saying you know they kept at it and uh, they did themselves proud so you know they can take some heart from that i guess yeah i did watch the game actually um mainly out of interest and it was quite hard to judge players to be honest in terms of, of what was going on in the field because it was just such a mismatch um i mean some of the aki stanley players were like some of their players were well over six foot they've got a player who's six foot five and you're talking under 16s here who are still sort of doing their growing um and so it, it just it just seems very very harsh to 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 really look at it in terms of uh of, of trying to determine how good the the players are for the elites under 18s I don't think anybody learned anything from from the, from the match. Uh, is my view, and I, I don't necessarily think it it will knock the the players in an in an undue way. I mean, I think they would have ex- they would have gone into the game expecting to take a, a bit of a hammer in any in any case. I would imagine. So, apart from anything, I fundamentally disagree with us being in this competition to start with. But I yeah, mean, me too. That's a separate argument, really. But um, we we you know. It's it's good for us and it's good for our youth team, but I don't think it's the right thing to do to enter a team into this competition personally. I think in the long run that was probably seen as a good developmental curve for the under twenty threes, but as I've said, you know, when things have come round the way that they've come round, it, it suddenly starts looking like a complete nightmare. Um, but we'll see how how this unfolds, and hopefully in the next two games in the group stages, the under twenty threes will be able to get some practice in, and, and we'll be able to put uh, a bit of a better performance on for us. Uh, another performance that many Leeds United eyes were on yesterday was the Calvin Phillips England performance. A performance I haven't caught yet, but I will be going back over actually and rewatching that because I think I'm going to do an analysis video on Calvin Phillips's England debut on our Patreon. So if you're a Patreon subscriber keep an eye out for that Darren I know that you did watch it um what are your thoughts coming away from watching that game yeah there was there's very little that can make me um watch an England game that isn't connected to the World Cup so that just shows how much I love Calvin Phillips um I thought I thought that the game was incredibly poor I thought the um that the, the England set up particularly in the first half was a really kind of stodging defensive 3-4-3 which was not really designed to make any player shine and and I don't think any player really shone. Having said that, I think that once once Calvin settled down after the first 20-25 minutes when he did look a bit edgy and a bit nervous and uh, got caught on the ball a couple of times, um, I thought he, he, he grew into the game and, and, and played with, with some real credit. So it was some really lovely long passing. Um, he really got stuck in. Um, what you know in terms of winning the ball, I think he I think he won a, a good a good number of tackles. Um, and I think all in all, he comes away with his head held high. 
Tom, did you manage to catch the England game yesterday? I did. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to echo what Darren says. Um, it was a bit of a mess, the system, certainly with the players that we played in it. Maybe if we had a centre-forward who really liked to drop deep a lot, it might have worked a little bit better. But in general, it having Phillips and Rice in that midfield together with no one ahead of them, it just didn't work at all and it didn't make any of the players look good. Uh, Phillips played okay. He played some, especially in the second half, his passing was good. He played some decent long balls. Um, I think we did see a couple of elements of um, him not being great when he's under pressure, which I think our system, uh, it kind of protects him from that a little bit because he's not, he doesn't tend to get put under that kind of pressure. And that sort of shows how deeply Bielsa's thought about the things that he's good at and the things that he isn't and why he's chosen to mould him into that player, I think, because he the way that he gets away from pressure tends to be to use his strength, I think. And that's going to be harder and harder the you know the stronger players and the, the the better technical players he's up against. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops when he comes up against some of the you know the real bruisers in the Premier League. I think it was really interesting because he was up against Christian Eriksen for a lot of the game last night, and, and Christian Eriksen was really good at cutting the passing lines off both to and from from Calvin. And I thought that that was something which it took took him quite a long time to get to grips with. How do we feel this is going to affect his long term England trajectory? Is this just an, an outlier? debut that is going to make people think negatively about him or do you think that he'll get chances again further down the line? I think it would be harsh to um, stop giving him chances on the basis of just this I think. Um, I he I think he did well enough to deserve a second chance but I think it also showed that if you're going to play this formation you need someone who's got a bit more going forward um, in one of those two midfield spots so I guess it depends partially on whether Southgate's going to stick with this system or not. Yeah, I, my sense is that he won't. But but um, in 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 terms of Calvin's England future, I thought he was I thought he was significantly better than Declan Rice last night. Um, so so that can't I don't think it will have done him any harm in that sense. Right, quick update in terms of the transfer market, in which not very much is happening. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul um, re- reports came out yesterday, suggesting that our sources were correct in saying that that Rodrigo de Paul was being hawked around other clubs and is waiting for a better offer than Leeds. Um, how do we feel about this? A lot of um, a lot of Leeds Twitter seems to think that if a player wants to wait for a for an offer for Juventus, then he's not worthy of the Leeds shirt. Um, Tom, how do you feel about that? I think people need to step into the player's shoes a little bit more and think how he would feel. Um, of course, he's going to want to play for a team that wins the league every year and that is in the Champions League all the time. Um, there are plenty of players around who've given their absolute all when when they've been at Leeds and have then left and then so, sometimes even come back. Someone like David Batty springs to mind. Always gave his all when he was at Leeds, left Leeds to play at a higher level at that point, essentially won the league with Blackburn. Then when he came back, he, he worked hard for Leeds again. I think players, good players who do well, they, they they put that stuff to the one side once they've signed for a club and they do their best in the games that they play. Darren, what's your thinking on the on Rodrigo de Paul, um, the saga? Do you feel as though it's likely that he's going to end up with the club or have you resigned yourself to the fact that it's uh, looking less and less likely as the days go by? Yeah, I think, I think I more or less have resigned myself that, to, to the fact that it's looking less and less likely, but I still don't think it's impossible. I, I think it's going to take something pretty special or, or or a real kind of slowness in the market to bring him to Leeds, but but I still haven't completely ruled it out. And then finally, in terms of the transfer market, there's, there was a Guardiol update yesterday. Yoshko Guardiol, the Dynamo Zagreb centre-back, has is, is still um, being uh, touted as a potential Leeds target. I can't remember who put the report out yesterday but I think it was 20 was it 22 million euros plus yeah quite a 20%, big chunk I think yeah a big chunk 15 or 20 percent of sell-on clause yeah uh, and that's still um rumbling on um Darren centre-backs we still need one um how do you feel how do you feel about the the potential um of going into the season with only two senior centre-backs absolutely terrified um <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not 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 a fan of that at all. I think three is one too few, at least one too few. So uh, I, I think we, yeah, we absolutely need to get to get that position resolved as soon as we possibly can. Um, and the, you know that Gvardiol looks really good, and I'd be very, you know, really keen to have him through through the door. And if it is him, great. But um, but yeah, we we just need we 
it's one of those situations where we almost just need a body, although I know that's not how Bielsa thinks in any way, shape or form. I was listening to a Spurs podcast the other day where they were talking about whether or not they could scrape through the season with four (laughs) centre-backs. And I was like, you have no idea. Um, Just a breaking news story, actually. Now Gianluca Di Marzio has just um, announced that Crescencio Somerville, the Feyenoord youth player, is going to Leeds on a permanent deal, um, which is, yeah, which is, I I think, an interesting one. No doubt he'll be in the under-23s, but again, he'll be one of those uh, players in and around the fringes of of the senior squad. Um, Looks like a a very tricky um, wide winger. Um, So, yeah, um, seems to fit with a lot of the the, the the sort of transfer strategy that we've been talking about this summer. Right, I think we should move on because we could talk about transfers all day long and uh, it won't change anything. Obviously, this is the first of our preview podcasts for the new season, which is very exciting, I suppose. <laughs> we kick off our season on Saturday afternoon against Liverpool at Anfield. No one has beaten Liverpool at Anfield in three years, so it will be a baptism of fire, I believe you call it. And in order to give us a sense of what to expect from Liverpool, I spoke to John O'Sullivan, a freelance journalist who's often found on the Anfield Index. So John, hi, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I'm glad that you asked me to be on. I'm quite excited about this. Oh yeah, why are you so excited? Well, I get to discuss Marcelo Bielsa and Jurgen Klopp <laughs> in the you know in the one conversation, so it's always it's always a good moment for me when that happens. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a fun conversation. So let's just jump in on the Liverpool stuff. How are you feeling about the impending season as a Liverpool fan? As things stand, I'd be quite confident that we'll be in there or thereabouts in regards to winning the title again. I think the signing of Casa Simica. It's kind of gone under the radar a bit because everybody's fixated with Thiago, but uh, Simica comes in with European experience, uh, has a lot of qualities, profiles kind of similarly to Andre Robertson. And as much as I love him, and I'm sure Leeds fans would love him, James Miller filled in at left back. But it, and he done an admirable job, don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't <laughs> the same. So having someone who's left-footed, who's quick and who can really add to the attack like Simica can is is massive, especially for Liverpool because of the way their fullbacks are really their creative hubs. In terms of the wider summer activity, are you happy with that? Do you feel as though there's areas you need to strengthen? Because it's a bit of a funny season really for Liverpool, having having uh, done so well in recent years and really not being able to bring in the players that they would like to because of costs. Yeah, 100%. I think certainly they would need another forward, probably someone who can be an understudy for Sadio Mane. There's tentative links, I would say, to Ismail Assar, but doesn't seem to be anything substantive in that yet. Um, also, uh, a backup centre-half. Lots of Leeds fans will know Ben White. Obviously, he was linked for a long time. But that looks like it's hit the skids now and that he's signed a new deal with Brighton. So I don't expect that to happen. And um, then there's obviously Thiago, who, if you would ask me before the links had started, did I think that we needed to address the midfield? I would have said no, not necessarily, given that uh, I hope Keita plays a bigger role next season. But now that they've dangled the carrot of Thiago in front of me, I can't really get my mind off it. And uh, I want that to happen at all costs. So I think they have a fair bit to do, but a lot of it, I think, will be predicated on selling players, which is obviously a lot more difficult now than it would have been. So it might go late to the window, but hopefully they get those three positions uh, sorted. And I guess for Liverpool fans, it's it's sort of an interesting position to be in when you've won the Premier League and the Champions League in recent memory. How do you go beyond that? How do you keep your team competitive and keep things ticking over? So how are you feeling about the summer and the season in that respect? Yeah, that kind of ties into the need more additions. I think you just need that like inner competition within the squad to keep people on their toes. I mean, a lot of people in that team are kind of guaranteed their spot, more or less. There's no real pressure on them for their places. And I mean, I don't expect anyone to come in, for example, and, you know, put Virgil van Dijk under major pressure. But there's definitely areas where a couple of introductions could keep players on their toes and, you know, get their best form out of them or even just give them the opportunity to rest more and bring their A game more often when they're not being absolutely flogged in an intense style of football across several competitions in what is going to be an absolutely concertinaed season. I don't think a lot of people quite realise how compressed it's going to be and how many games there will be, you know, obviously depending on how teams will get on in various competitions. But I think even just that squad depth for rest is going to be huge. So I think that's going to be a massive factor. 
So you've mentioned that you're a fan of Marcelo Bielsa, so I'm going to jump straight into the tactics chat. If you were asked to give an overview of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, what would you say? How would you describe Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in, in a tactical sense? I think they're very zealous in their adherence to a 4-3-3. But within that, there's a lot of rotation and a lot of interchange. So, for example, uh, the front three are ostensibly a front three, but it more resembles the setup of a 4-4-2 diamond because while Salah and Mane start in the left and right flank, respectively, they cut in and they're more or less the central strikers. Then you have Roberto Firmino, who is nominally the nine. He's His role more resembles probably an orthodox number 10 in that he drops deep and likes to link to play. And then you see the number eights. They, they often play quite wide. I mean, good examples of that would be Sadio Mane's goal against Manchester City last season where Jordan Henderson is on the byline, very, very tight to the line and crosses for him to head in. And then another example would be Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain crossing for Jorginho Wijnaldum to head in against Atletico Madrid. So whilst it is a 4-3-3, it's very amorphous. It moves a lot. Uh, you see Fabinho, Leeds fans will be familiar with this with Calvin Phillips. He drops deep between the two centre-halves to be a three. You know, in the build-up phase, uh, you see Trent Alexander-Arnold who... Uh, you know, he's just a super player. He can go wide. He can play infield in the half spaces or even move very centrally. Um, he used to be a central midfielder, but in his academy days. And uh, when I was watching the Champions League final a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joshua Kimmich's assist for Kingsley Coman was like the PG-13 version of Trent Alexander-Arnold's <laughs> assist for Firmino against Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, where he just gets that ball in kind of central area and has managed to bend it around people and perfectly onto the head of uh, of the forward to score. So I think whilst it is not almost always a uh, 4-3-3 for the last three seasons, there's a lot of interchange and movements within that structure. And I think that's really testament to Pep and Linder's growing influence on the team. I think he's mm-hmm. definitely adds a new element to things. And what would you say the strengths and weaknesses of this system are? The weaknesses can sometimes be... Not so much of the system, but the players that he puts within them. So a lot of the time, a lot of the creative, the creative responsibility is delegated to the fullbacks. And you know, you know they've averaged nearly a hundred points over the last two seasons. So obviously it works well a lot of the time. But there are occasions when, especially when teams play a four-four-two deep block and double up on the fullbacks, that then the kind of the creative book is passed to the midfielders, and they just haven't been able to come up with the goods. Uh, Everton under Carlo Ancelotti are a good example, and actually when Ancelotti was at Napoli, are a good example of that uh, of that plan working and nullifying Liverpool's attack quite a lot. So that's an area, and I suspect that's why they want Thiago, where they can definitely improve, is adding more creativity to the central band of the pitch and not always relying on the fullbacks to do everything because, you know, they're also the fullbacks. They have defensive uh, de- responsibilities as well, so there's a lot on their plate. So I suspect that really varying the point of attack is something that they'll look to do in the coming season. So that would be a weakness. And then the strength is, I mean, they're a team, they can play on the counter, they can play possession football, they can play very quick attacking football, they're good from set pieces. In a lot of ways, in the last two seasons, they've kind of reminded me of an Alex Ferguson team at United uh, in that, you know, they can kind of just find any way to win. You know, they they have their bases, which is an intense pressing game. But, you know, within that, they can do and play a lot of different ways in order to get the win. So a lot is made of Liverpool's overperformance of expected goals metrics last season, as well as Manchester City's underperformance of the same metrics. And obviously Leeds fans know a thing or two about underperforming XG, um, which may say something about the similarities between the way that Man City and Leeds play football. How do you come down on the Liverpool overperformance of XG? Is it just variance or do you think that there's underlying structural causes that the models can't really account for yet? I think there might be a little bit of an underlying structural uh, element that the models can't really, you know, uh, adhere to yet. Because if you look at Liverpool's post-shot XE, it's quite impressive. So their shot selection is excellent. They they try to hit the corners quite a lot. And I think that's something they work on quite often. And then I think when you look at City, obviously, like in terms of creativity, they create a lot more opportunities than Liverpool do. And they score more goals. But um, they also quite they miss quite a lot as well. I mean, Raheem Sterling is quite prolific, but he's also, to my mind, not a great finisher, and it's something that's kind of been with him since his Liverpool days. And I would say the same about Gabriel Jesus. I think I don't think he's in the same league in terms of being a dead eye finisher in front of gold and say Sergio Aguero. So 
I think a lot of that is Man City being a little bit profligate, mm. but um, certainly I think it's something that Liverpool work on and they uh, they they try to hit the corners quite a lot. I think with that. And would you expect them to overperform XG again this season? Yeah, they've done it now for probably two and a half to three seasons in a row. So I don't see I don't see why they couldn't keep that going. I think mm. uh, certain teams in certain ways are always kind of belying their numbers. I think Burnley in the defensive uh, in a defensive perspective are quite like that as well. So uh, unless something goes totally haywire, I would I would imagine they'd be there or thereabouts in a similar way again next season. You've already alluded to this fact, but one of the things that's been most interesting about Jurgen Klopp's tenure has been his willingness and successfulness at evolving his team to suit the Premier League. Do you think we're going to see any tactical shifts from the German this season? Uh, it was interesting because in the second half of the Community Shield final, they played a 4-2-2-2, or in other words, the box mm-hmm. midfield. Um, it's something that he's kind of previously toyed with once or twice. I remember the final game of the 2017-18 season they played against Brighton and they won mm. 4-0 and they looked very good. A game that was famous for Dominic Solanke actually scoring a goal in. Um, mm. So I think it's something, yeah, they could definitely experiment with um, next season. If you look at a lot of the players they've signed, they've come through the finishing schools of Red Bull, Leipzig or Salzburg where the they nearly always adhere to that style of play. So whether it's Mane, Keita or Minamino, they're all accustomed to playing there. Then you have the likes of Fabinho, who uh, who played in the two-man midfield at Monaco. Uh, you have Thiago, hypothetically, if he comes in, he's well-versed to playing in a two-man midfield. And then it would just be another way of uh, fitting all the attackers into the same team at once. I often think about Manchester City under Manuel Pellegrini in 2013 and 14. And they played that shape and it was just a mechanism for them to fit David Silva, Samir Nasri, Aguero, Torre and Negredo into the same team in a, mm. in a balanced kind of a in a balanced kind of a way. I know there was a lot on Fernandinho's plate that season defensively, but you know, they managed to make it work. Uh Raf Hasenhutl is quite successful with that at Southampton, I think. So it's a, it's something to look out for. I think the ideal time to change is when you're on top and don't let stasis kind of creep in. So I mean, it's the, it's the ideal time to do it now whilst, uh, whilst everybody is still trying to figure out how to stop your usual plan. So mm. I think that's something we could keep an eye on. And one final question on the generalities of this season. How do you see the title challenge going this season? It's obviously going to be a battle between you and Manchester City. How do you see it unfolding? Yeah, I think it'll be Liverpool and City once again. A lot of people are talking about how well Chelsea are spending money and uh, how well, you know, well, not re- and maybe United to a lesser degree. But I think Chelsea's issues are still between the sticks uh, at the back and in the dugout. I think uh, in all of those areas, they're weaker than Liverpool and the Manchester City. So I don't envision them challenging. They could well finish third, but like third, a distant third, quite like Manchester United this season. So um, ahead of the campaign, I mean, the same kind of issues are, are existing for Manchester City. They, they'd be looking to sign Kaladu Koulibaly, but to me that's strange because uh, he plays off the left side of the defence, so does Americ Laporte, and so does um, the new signing from Bournemouth, his name escapes me, the Dutch kid. Aki. Yeah, Nathan Aki, sorry. Yeah, I know everything about him except his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So unless they're planning to go three at the back, I don't know how they would fit potentially Koulibaly and Laporte into the same team. Um, I think certainly since they played put Rodri into the team instead, instead of Fernandinho, they look a lot more susceptible in the break. I think Fernandinho is far more streetwise than, uh, than Rodri, and I think that shows. Uh, he used to get away with uh, so many tactical fouls without getting booked. <laughs> and he, an excellent purveyor of the dark arts who everybody would love there on... Uh, on their team so I think that's an area that uh, they're weaker than they were previously so unless they unless they do maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of more reinforcements in their defence and I don't think Messi is going to happen now I think that's probably come out uh, just before we started to record it seems like so uh, depending on how they spend I think Liverpool would still probably be favourites but like you said like Manchester City in terms of creativity are creating enough chances to win nearly every single game so it definitely won't be uh, as big a gap as last season and they'll be there thereabouts for sure so you've already said that you're a big fan of Marcelo Bielsa why are you a big fan of Marcelo Bielsa oh I absolutely love him and uh, <laughs> again Leeds fans can relate to this I first came across him in 2012 when his athletic club team absolutely rinsed United at Old Trafford <laughs> now in fairness like it Admittedly, it doesn't take a lot for a Liverpool fan to be excited about Manchester United being defeated. 
But I mean, the football they played that night was absolutely amazing. It was out of this world. And I think was they only won 3-2 at Old Trafford in the end. But if it had finished 6-2, no one could have complained. It was just beautiful to watch. It was just so amorphous. It was full of interchange and movement. And I remember thinking, the only player who I'm definitely sure has a fixed position in this team is Fernando Llorente and the goalkeeper. Because it was like everybody else was moving around and popping up and the formation would change and the alignments would change. The likes of Oscar DeMarcos was playing in about seven positions. Uh, Iker Munyain was buzzing around the place. A young Ante Herrera was very impressive. So I was like, this is this is absolutely brilliant. And it was a, at a time where Liverpool were playing absolute dirge football every week. So it's like, football can be like this? Is, is, this, is this what it can be like? So I kind of followed his career then through Marseille. Uh, the couple of days he was at Lazio. And then uh, obviously on to Leeds and... Uh, and my cousin is a very big Leeds fan, so he I'd always talk to him about Leeds to see how they're getting on as well. And uh, I just, you know, he's been telling me about how good the football is and about, you know, how how really Bielsa has embedded himself in the local community. I, I, I love mm. to hear stories like that. And uh, so, yeah, I think it goes back to 2012. And I've been my whole life trying to replicate that tactics on a football manager, probably mostly unsuccessfully. Ever since, it's just my idea of like the ideal style of football, I guess. How are you feeling about the visit of Leeds to Anfield next weekend? Is it going to be reminiscent, do you think, of Norwich's trip to Anfield at the beginning of last season? You see, it could well be. Liverpool won that game 4-1, but if you actually watch the back, Norwich created a lot of chances and were very brave. And I think the margin of the scoreline kind of flattered Liverpool a tiny bit. So it could well be. And I think certainly Leeds would probably be better equipped to do better than them. Um, I think like they'll press, they'll come to attack. Um, they won't sit back and be meek. And in an empty stadium, you know, it could it could be the best time to to come up against Liverpool. And uh, even even if they aren't to win, I think it's an ideal way for Leeds to start because it's one of the hardest games of the season out of the way already. And if they have a good performance, then that's they can take a lot of confidence from that. I think from a Liverpool perspective, it's an ideal game because it's going to be intense one way or another. I think Liverpool are best when they're battle-hardened and when they have when they have a lot of tough games in quick succession. We saw that last Christmas when they came back from the Club World Cup and they absolutely destroyed Leicester and they went on this crazy run of great form. So I think having a really intense tune-up like that in the first game of the season is going to be great for both teams. How do you think Klopp's going to set up against Leeds? Do you think Liverpool will just come out playing their usual way or do you think there'll be any reaction in his part? I think because the way I anticipate Leeds swarming Liverpool and pressing, it might be an ideal game for Naby Keita, who's so good in tight spaces and such a good player in the transition. So I can see him playing it'll probably be the regular 4-3-3 shape. Uh, we don't know if Jorginho Wijnaldum is going to still be at the club from then so it could be in the field of Fabinho Keita and A and other I, I'd imagine Jordan Henderson wouldn't be fit by that stage so it might be someone like Curtis Jones so uh, I know I'd expect Klopp to line up in kind of a, their usual kind of alignment and kind of play in a similar enough style to what they usually do and you know it, it's going to be refreshing for a Liverpool fan because most teams default setting against Liverpool is to sit in and kind of try and ride their luck so for someone to actually come and try to take them on in the game of football will be nice to see. I mean, uh, Salzburg done it last season in the Champions League and were only, you know, narrowly defeated 4-3 at Anfield. So, I mean, lots of teams lose anyway by playing so defensively. So you might as well try and come and have a go and you never know, it could pay off. And what ways do you think Leeds can cause Liverpool problems in particular? Well, like I said, the midfield, like without Jordan Henderson and uh, without Jorginho Wijnaldum, can sometimes be a little bit susceptible to the counter-attack without that kind of uh, communication of Henderson or like the tactical intelligence of Wijnaldum. I mean, I think a lot of people outside the Liverpool fan bubble don't quite appreciate like the role Wijnaldum does for the club. He uh, he really, like, if you have full-backs who got 50 assists over the last two seasons and the team had the strongest defence in the league the both two seasons that you can reasonably infer that they're being very well covered from their midfield and uh, that's what Wijnaldum is really really good at uh, sometimes he can go in early in the entire game especially away from home barely touching the ball but he's such a good uh, glue player and he holds the midfield structure together so well that in his absence it might be somewhere where Leeds could 
maybe get a little bit of joy putting pressure on the Liverpool midfield. And you've mentioned a few of the players that will be out in the lineup on Saturday. What do you think the full team lineup will look like? Okay, so it'll be Allison and goal. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is an interesting one. He missed all of preseason with a minor injury. Uh, he's in the England squad now, so if he plays for England, then maybe he'll be sufficiently ready to play for Liverpool. But ask me right now, I'd say Nico Williams right back. Uh, that's probably maybe another area where Leeds could uh, could get a bit of joy. He's a he's a kid fullback. He's actually he was a winger up until about eighteen months ago, so he's kind of learning that role on the fly. So I'd expect him right fullback, uh, centre half pairing of Gomez and Van Dijk, Robertson left back, uh, Fabinho was a six, um, probably Naby Keita and maybe Curtis Jones depending on others' fitness in the midfield, and then the regular front three of Salah, Mane, and Firmino. I don't usually ask for predictions on this podcast because I don't really think there's a huge amount of point, but you can offer one if you want. What I will ask is, how do you see the game unfolding on Saturday evening? I think it's going to be a really good game, probably going to be four or five goals in it, a lot of pressing, a lot of intensity, and uh, come the end of the game, there's going to be, I think, a lot of mutual admiration between the two coaches and... Uh, they'll compliment each other in the in the post match post match interviews. Uh, I think that really Bielsa said recently that Klopp was and his Liverpool team are the reference point right now, and I'm sure that you know Klopp has borrowed a lot of things over Bielsa for the years. Uh, Bielsa is probably one of the most influential coaches. You should just hear the way Pochettino, his former player, and uh, Pep Guardiola speak about him. So I think the chances of it being a highly engaging, high scoring game of football are quite high. Uh, Liverpool are undefeated at Anfield since April of 2017, so it'd be hard to envision them losing. But I mean, it's, I suppose with no fans in there in the first game of the season and they're not quite fully set yet, it could be as good time as any to try and win there. But I think it'll be a very good, entertaining game. Well, John O'Sullivan, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and the stuff that you put out? Yeah, it's uh, Notorious JOS uh, on Twitter and usually write about Liverpool on a daily basis for Anfield Index, but there's some other sports stuff later in there too. Well, thanks so much and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. No worries. Thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So that was John O'Sullivan, freelance journalist, who is often found on the Anfield Index. Darren, what did you make of that? Well, quite apart from his um, analysis of Liverpool, I was very, very pleased with his analysis of Chelsea. Problems (laughs) between the sticks at the back and in the dugout. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Um, No, the the stuff he said about Liverpool really kind of underlines the same things I was thinking and 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 makes the the fears that I've got for Saturday's game you know just kind of the, the same really so yeah we're going to need to find a way to to nullify the threat of the the fullbacks which is going to be incredibly challenging um and and that front three um a, pr- a pretty pretty fearsome um so I'm a bit worried about how we might kind of go about um go about managing that um having said all that I don't think Liverpool are likely to maintain the kind of point collecting form of the last two seasons. I think inevitably at some point their their form is going to drop off. Whether that will have any impact at all on Saturday, I I I very much doubt to be honest. But yeah, it's a it's it's, it's a really interesting set of challenges we've got to meet on Saturday afternoon. I think it's easy to not think too deeply about a tactical approach against Liverpool away because it almost feels 
cheeky perhaps thinking well what can we do to get the most out of this game um but tom what approach do you think bielsa should take going into this game and, and what sort of aspects do you, of, of the tactical side of things do you think will be going around his head well listening to the preview um he obviously watches football very deeply and um he seemed to the the, the area of weakness that he mentioned was basically in behind the fullbacks when they're attacking yeah. so and and that is the area that we try and counter anyway when we do have our rare opportunity to play counter-attacking football. So um, I guess that'll be it, won't it? Like uh, it's it's hard. The, the, the thing that I think we've we've always said is it's really it's going to be really interesting seeing what happens when we don't have the ball all the time. Um, yeah, we've seen it a few times, but certainly not against a team of Liverpool's standard who you know, could conceivably have 60% of the ball or something. We've, you know, we've seen times where it's been about 50-50, but we haven't had another team dominating the ball over us. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if the players can cope with that as well. And if the players can, when we do get the ball, not panic and hoof it long, like we saw against Barnsley last season at times. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess attack the flanks would be the answer to your initial question, uh, counter on the flanks. I guess my my thinking is probably not so much around how we hurt Liverpool, but how how we stop Liverpool from hurting us. I think that's our our bigger challenge on Saturday. And you know there are a number of ways you can slice it. So I was just thinking before we came on about about who's going to pick up Firmino. Is that going to be is that going to be Cooper um, or will Bielsa treat um, Mane and Salah as a front two and treat Firmino as a ten and put put Phillips on him, which I think is probably the most logical way of doing it. That, yeah, that's how I would think about it as well. But then that that creates other problems, doesn't it? And as John quite rightly pointed out just before we we, we press record, we don't actually have any centre backs at the moment, which kind of creates a bit of a difficulty. <laughs> yeah, so I guess what we were talking about there is that Liverpool Liverpool line up in a four three three, but actually at times it looks like a four four two with a diamond. So with a with Firmino dropping quite deep and um, and the two um, wide players in that front three coming a bit narrower in in counter attacking situations. If you do that, the issue then becomes how do you sort out the the sort of libero player as as Bielsa calls it the, the the plus one player who is is there to sweep up because if if you've got a back two and Firmino drops deep and your fullbacks are covering the wide players then you've got two centre backs not marking anyone do you allow your centre back i.e. Cooper I suspect it would be in this situation to follow or track Firmino into the midfield area um, or do you just play a back three and and have the the middle of the back three um, patrolling behind the other two who are tight on the wide players, and then have Phillips on on Firmino. Um, I I I like aspects of of both, and I I'm quite interested to see what happens. I just think that given that we're struggling for centre backs as it is, I just think it might just be a step too far in this game. And so what we might just see is what I suggested with with Cooper just sort of tracking Firmino out of out of defence. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of worrying on on a certain level. Um, there's also questions for me, I think, structurally about how you we've talked about um, ca- causing problems in terms of their build up through the fullback. And John himself said there's been times this season when um, Liverpool have have struggled um, when teams have doubled up on their fullbacks and um, and forced them to be more creative in central areas. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to see long stretches of the game where Liverpool will have really um, high possession. They'll have a really high line. If you, I watched a, um, a couple of games back and when they, they played against Bournemouth and their back two are like on the wrong side of the halfway line almost past the 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 center circle yeah they were on the edge of it weren't they yeah so they're going to they're going to mm. sit there and they're going to wait um w- wait for us to break down i think in certain situations and the reason why they use their fullbacks in those situations is because their fullbacks are so good at crossing the ball in that it gives them a, a little bit of an edge so if you can double up on those if you can get some sort of tandem system where whoever's playing in the two midfield uh, eight positions so maybe click and maybe I guess Hernandez. If you if you just sort of drop them onto the ball near um, center uh, fullback, sorry. So Hernandez probably dropping onto um, Alexander Arnold and Click dropping onto Robertson, um, and then have whoever's the striker sort of covering Fabinho. Then what you do is you force them to be creative through Fabinho rather than through their fullbacks who are much more dangerous I think that's a really that's a really tough system and um, requires a lot of, uh, of of training and practice to execute but thank god we've had so long to <laughs> we've had at least four days by my reckoning so that's that's enough time for Bielsa right 
<laughs> but that was that's why I was kind of was thinking that the that the three three one three system might make more sense mm. because then you can drop you can drop Costa and Harrison in on top of the the kind of wing backs and have whether it's uh, Dallas and Douglas or Dallas and Alioska or whoever ends up playing there um, and and kind of quite easily get that that double cover. But what it will do is it will reduce our threat massively on the break, won't mm. it? So what you'd be looking for ideally is Costa and Harrison being in positions where they can spring very quickly. But if they're having to sit so deep, that'll be a real concern. I guess a lot of it depends on whether Bielsa feels like Cock is ready to play. Mm, if yeah. Cock's ready to play, then the back three becomes a lot more of a viable option, I think, because it wouldn't. You know, you can play Ailing on the right of the back three and Dallas at right back, and then play yeah. either Douglas or Alioski at left wing back, and you know that that that's a viable option. But I I can't see him deciding to put Strike or someone in a, in that back three. So I think a lot of it depends on you know how Cock's been doing in training and murder ball, etc. Yeah. I think one thing to add to this conversation as well has to be the fact that we're going to be playing in such a compact formation as well if we're being forced back that yeah. I actually don't think it matters too much the the difference between a 4141 and a 3313 because everything is going to be so compacted that it won't really make that much of a difference either way and I, like you say I think it, it then works better in terms of the question is is right if we're playing really compacted how do we decompress um, do yeah. we decompress in dangerous ways in such a in such a way as to be able to one beat the initial counter press that Liverpool will do so as soon as they lose the ball they're going to press hard and what you've got to try and do is get vertical very quickly um, and and that's what you see in the goal against um, Arsenal in the chat uh, cha- I want to say the charity goal shield. for arsenal can the goal for arsenal sorry yeah. um in the community shield um is that you see the, the liverpool lose the ball the ball goes very quickly down the line to saka saka switches play um to to obama yang and and then obama yang is one-on-one uh, against nico williams and 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 is able to get the shot away um there's lots of aspects there that are really important the first one is that if you can get vertical quickly um then you're onto a winner the other one is is that because liverpool play uh, a midfield three who do a lot of um lateral defensive work because they're covering for those fullbacks going high and forward um they're also quite narrow so if you can switch the ball quickly from one side of the other to the other yeah. then you potentially cause problems as well so i think in terms of decompression that's going to be the that's going to be the strategy get forward quickly in wide areas and then try and switch it to the opposite side and get um uh, wingers and strikers into one-on-one scenarios with either fullbacks or center backs yeah absolutely so i think the the real question that we have to address now is about squad selection so we've already mentioned robin koch Darren, how likely do you think it is that we see Robin Koch on the, at the weekend, and how do you think this will impact the way that we set up? Yeah, I, I think I think we have to play him really. I think I think he, we we really don't have the depth in the squad to, to not play him, particularly if we're if we're choosing to go with a four at the back. Um, I, I think I've been pretty clear before that I really don't like seeing Ailing as either the centre of a three or as one of a two. So um, I think with that in mind, I, I think he has he has to give cock, cock the run out um and just just kind of see how it goes really which is not his normal method of preparation I, I totally understand that but um i don't see what choice he's got so if we were not playing cock and we went for a back three yeah we, we're talking ailing on the right cooper on the left and then well cooper in the center and then someone on the right presumably yeah would who would that be <laughs> casey or <laughs> no. casey cresswell that's it isn't it yeah, you could play strike on the left of a back three. That's I suppose true. you could play strike on the left of a three. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so we, that's a potential uh, option we could see. We could also see that with Cock, I suppose. And but then I guess the issue would be, mm, where would you play? Would what, you play? What about st- drama? Could play drama in the right, but then where would you yeah. play Alien? You'd have to play him in the centre because I, I think that's kind of drama's strongest position, isn't it? At the right of a three or at right back. So, yeah. but I think that's just given the training minutes he's had would be my only thought process there but I think it's highly unlikely yeah. the other the other option is that Phillips could play in the centre of a back three as he has done before I don't see it happening but it is possible yeah yeah uh, and then you'd have stroke and uh, ahead of that in midfield yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you guys <laughs> I would not be happy with with any of those setups really at this point no nope. um, I think nope. it's probably a case of trying to keep it as simple as possible um, and for me that would be just Cooper, Cork, and um, Phillips ahead. Um, I guess we could. You could always have Phillips just tracking through anyway, um, and and following Firmino. Um, if if we decide that Phillips is going to be marking Firmino, the only issue with that then is that how do you how do you orientate the back the back um, 
back four plus Phillips against the front three of Liverpool uh, because you're going to have to have one of this the fullbacks dropping in on one of the other wide yeah, players. That's, that's why the three really feels enticing when you when yeah. when you really break down how Liverpool play with with the striker dropping deep. The three feels almost like the obvious choice, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Like it, personnel apart, it does. In which case, it might be good to just play Stroke as the as the centre of the back of the back three, and then have Phillips. Um, in front of him and and have Phillips tracking Firmino and then just have Stroke as the um as the sort of uh, free player at the back. Yeah. Or or that could be Koch depending on. Mm. Yeah, uh, true. If, you know if he, if he deems him ready. Yeah, and it I guess it just depends on um the question of of how much I mean we we all know what happened when Stroke played uh, against Cardiff in defense. That's the only that's the only senior minutes I think he's had. Yeah, L- Liverpool don't have a Lee Tomlin. They don't have anyone yeah, that's that good. True. Yeah. <laughs> so these are all things that we need to take into account. I guess if if we had Koch playing as the center of a back 3 and then you had Stroke and um Cooper as outside center backs then you've got two left-footed outside center backs which is probably a a problem. So you've got to play one of Cooper or Stroke as the center of a back 3 in my opinion. I think you'd go with Koch in the center and Ailing and Cooper Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Play Ailing as the right-sided center right. back. Yeah. And then you've with got Dallas, Dallas right back, right back and yeah, yeah, and Douglas at left back yeah, or Alioski. But then, how do you fit Click in the team? I'm just <laughs> right, looking at this yeah. team. I've got it got written in front of me. Well, you just take Hernandez out, then, wouldn't you? And then keep. Yeah, you'd, you, that's yeah, what. I'm, yeah. yeah, you'd have to take Hernandez out and and just effectively play with the front three of Costa, Harrison, and, and Bamford. Or, Which might not or be Rodrigo. might not be the worst thing to start the game with, and then bring Pablo on where he's needed later on. So effectively looking at a 3-4-3 and we know how well that works for Calvin last night. <laughs> I think what I like about this setup is that you're thinking about the defensive structure and you're not worrying too much about about defensive cover in the middle um, because I don't think you need to worry too much about defensive cover in the middle when it comes to Liverpool in that respect. I think the, the dangerous areas are out wide. So I, I'm, I'm fully on board with the 3-3-1-3 idea. I just, mm. I just think that... Um, we just don't have the personnel to play it, which is why mm. we've always been angling for an an extra senior centre back. Because people say, "Well, you need yeah. to, you need you need three senior centre backs if you're ever going to play a back three system," which every team is going to have to at least countenance the idea of. And so, for me, I, I find it wild that people think we only need three centre backs. Because yeah, I mean, as soon as someone's injured, that's it. You're done. You've got no. That's true, room. but I mean, when you're talking about a back three, you have to count Ailing as a centre back as well. Because I think everyone agrees he's good on the right of a back three. Yeah, yeah, but that, uh, my problem there is that you, as soon as you start solving problems by moving players from other positions, then you create other problems for you. We don't like as soon as you have an injury and you move Ailing inside, then you're essentially saying we're going to have to play one of our weaker uh, left backs because Dallas is going to end up playing right back. And I just kind of think you, mm. you start then just exacerbating by pre- solving problems by moving people around from other places. Well, absolutely, but. I mean, we could another option. It, we could buy, you know, a, a, we might get a better deal on a new right back. You know, you know what I mean. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be hmm. a centre back. You know, we might get a better deal on a backup to Ailing, new left back. You know, and yeah. we've we've bought Cody Drama. He might be good. I have no idea really. You know, he might be a really good backup right back. In which case, moving yeah. Ailing to the right of a back three hmm. would not be as much of a problem. That's hypothetical. I don't know how good he is, but it, it's just an idea. We're getting in dangerous territory of just talking about transfer strategy again but (laughs) my issue is always that when your transfer strategy is high risk then it serves you right when things go wrong and then you end up having problems whereas for me the simple solution here is just get another center back it doesn't even need to be someone that glorious and maybe they'll never play and maybe it won't matter like this is why Berardi was great for us because you know he did the job and and that was it he covered a few positions and and he was just sort of there as the backup uh, to the backup and that's what we needed in in this this situation that's what we need this season don't get me wrong I mean I love the idea of Gvardiol from the bits I've seen of him Mm. like he looks great and he will fulfill that role I guess um of backup center back and yeah uh, and I I'd, I'd rather wait and get him than bring someone else in because things are dragging on I don't mind if we get him in in October personally yeah and and hopefully we'll be able to to weather that storm but I think these are well trodden discussions between mm. us now so I'm I'm happy to <laughs> to move this one on now let's just talk a little bit about the players that we're expecting good performances from um I guess this is a more general question at this point in the season to like who do we think is going to perform well in the in the Premier League Darren 
Oh, I, th- I think there are there are players who've definitely you know clearly got the quality to 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 do that. Whether they'll get the minutes to do that is is another matter. So for Saturday, I don't I don't think we'll get ninety minutes out of either Pablo or out of um, Rodrigo, and I, I I doubt we'll see Rodrigo at all. But I think both of those have got have got the ability to 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 play very well. Um, Ailing is always remar- is always very consistent, and I, I I don't necessarily see the jump in level being too too high for him I think he'll do well I think Click will continue to perform in a very consistent way um I think Calvin will do will do very well in in terms of his certainly in terms of his defensive duties and responsibilities in the system um I think he he will have to learn some hard lessons in terms of how we how we go about the possession um but I I still think he's capable of stepping up a level my my question marks are around the front three I think more than more than anything else so I'd be interested to see how Bamford makes a step up I'd be interested to see how Harrison makes a step up I think I expect him to improve again I know, I know that probably John you and I have a slight difference of opinion about that but but I do I I think Harrison improves every year and I do think he will continue to do so give him 30 years and he'll be a great player I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> Stanley Matthews <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, I, I think he, I think he'll, he'll benefit from the additional space that he will get in the Premier League. Is, is my view really? I think he's definitely going to be better in the Premier League in terms of like he's. I think his upside is really a um, uh, as a as a pressing player actually, and defensively, I think he's very yeah. good. And I think in a season like this, there's going to be certain games where he's going to be useful and. You know, well, there'll be games where he comes on for the first fifty minutes, and then we bring on a more decisive attacking player. I think who who will then be be aiming to to score the goal. So I'm I'm okay. I I enjoyed watching him against Passos um, this last weekend because I thought he played tactically very good. And my issues with with mm. um, Harrison are always, I think, um, in terms of decision making and and effectiveness around the goal. Yeah. Um, which which yeah, look, at this point. When you're when you're looking at scoring fewer goals than you did last season, it's not going to be as big a problem. No. Tom, have you got any insight into who you think is going to do well this season? Then it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because we are such a we're not a team with standout players, really. I mean, our standout player was probably Ben White last season, um, and he's not here. So um, I think that the the ones that you, I think touch is going to come a lot first touch is going to come a lot more into it than it did last season if you take a bad first touch in a Premier League you're dead basically so that's why I I think with Harrison you know that might help him his first touch is excellent Um, Click has got a good touch and it's about whether it's it's really hard to say isn't it it's really hard to say about any of these players because they, they are apart from Costa pretty much you know, untried in recent times in this league. So I don't have any good answers. I don't have any insight. I don't have anything. I've got nothing. Hmm. Of course, the only players that we have who have had a season of, of good performances in the Premier League are Pablo Hernandez and uh, Adam Forshaw. <laughs> Who's still at the dentist, it would yeah, seem. Yeah, still at the dentist, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, let's just keep that one percolating away at the back of our minds. Right, one, one final question. How do we expect the game to unfold on Saturday, Tom? I think it'll be... A bit of a blitz in the first ten minutes. Whether that's Liverpool blitzing us or us unexpectedly blitzing them, which I think <laughs> is un- is less likely, but could still happen if we catch them unawares. And then it'll settle down into Liverpool having most of the ball, no matter what the score is, and us um, trying to press and counter. And I get, I think it really boils down to whether we can keep our heads with that, and when we do get the ball, play our game mm. and uh, not panic at the back. Mm. Darren? Yeah, hard to say. Um, I, I don't think Liverpool are the sort of team who who regularly absolutely blow teams away. Um, so, I'm, although I am expecting Liverpool to win, I don't I don't think it'll be hammering. I don't think we'll go down as easily as Norwich did last year. Um, I think I think it will be it will be a game which is decided in the margins of Liverpool's elite players uh, ultimately. Well, there you have it, guys. The first preview podcast of the season is concluded. Just one quick thing to say is that I have already got my tactics thread ready. The other guys have checked through it, made sure my workings are correct. So I'll probably put this up at some point on Thursday morning slash afternoon. So that will be the first tactics thread on Twitter of the season. So hopefully you'll look forward to that. 
If you like our content and you want to get more of our content, then we have a Patreon channel, which is basically a, a site designed for you guys to subscribe to us and get more in-depth content. So we put videos up there, we put bonus podcasts up there, we put guest posts up there as well. If that sounds interesting to you, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And have a look at what's going on there. Three people who have done that very thing this week are Ashley Stewart, James Smethurst and Daniel FM. So thank you for getting on board, guys. We'll be back next week on Monday with a Liverpool review in which we will be able to look back on all of the things we've just said and laugh heartily. But all that remains for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Thank you. I'm changing my prediction. Bielsa's going to pull off a miracle. We're winning. We're winning two one. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Tom. Yeah, ta. And we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 